All right, well, this morning's lesson, we are on lesson three of our uh, Sunday school theme of stewardship following the uh, Capitol Hill Baptist uh, core seminar on stewardship. So a lot of material here is going to be coming from there. Um, So the first two weeks, it's been really good going over this introduction to stewardship, looking at the concept and theme of stewardship in Scripture, really paying attention to Matthew 25. Uh, what are some of the things that God has in mind when we think of uh, what we are to steward, why, how, and then thinking of that, that ultimate concept that Pastor Des was hitting on with faithfulness, right? What does God require? What does God expect? He expects faithfulness, right? Not results. So that's going to lead us into our uh, next segment. Uh, as you can see, uh, on the, I believe it's on the back of your handout, over the next four weeks we're going to be covering the subjects related to money so when we think about stewardship that's normally one of the first things that comes to mind so we're going to work our way through some of these concepts related to money and then we're going to go and investigate some other avenues related to the uh, the overall theme of stewardship uh, from from some aspects there so let's go ahead and dig in so our, our our first point that we're going to take a look at is why should Christians give? It, and actually, you know what? No, uh, look, look, before we go there, I, actually, I want to take it back real quick. Just open with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to um, see something um, before, before we even hop into uh, to, to, uh, why should Christians give. So turn with me to the, the, to the book of Ephesians. And here, just to pick up the heartbeat, if you will, um, when we think of giving, when we think of uh, providing, uh, I think Paul does something super instructive for us, right? When we just think of how important this is uh, and, and, and what this means when we think of the Christian life and sanctification. So look with me in Ephesians chapter 4, in Ephesians chapter 4, and look with me in verse 28. And if I can have a volunteer read Ephesians 4 verse 28. Pastor Des? Yeah. It says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor for honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone Perfect. Now I want you to pause and think for a second. How many of us would have included that last part to that verse, right? So generally when we think of um don't steal, but instead, you need to provide for yourself, right? And more or less, I think we feel pretty comfortable putting a period there, right? But what does Paul do? He, he takes it one step further. It's not simply a matter of providing for ourselves and our family, right? The necessary obligations that are placed upon us. But, but he sees it with, with another step, right? He sees it that we are to work so we can provide, not just for ourselves, but also for those in need. And I think that's important, right? And that's going to tie into this concept of stewardship, the Christian life. Um, So I think that's instructive because it shows us the importance of us giving, right? And I I think in this sense, in a material sense, giving materially. So so let's go into um, some reasons why we should give. Uh, what that giving looks like in the Old and New Testaments, th- things of this nature. So, so why should we give? So I think on your notes, the, the first major sub-point, 
Giving shows how great God is. And it, it, it really is something when our money can display God's greatness, right? With what we do with it. And, and a really good text, uh, since you're in Ephesians, just turn with me a couple books over. Let's turn to the book of Hebrews. And just an awesome passage related to Moses. In Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 26. Hebrews eleven twenty-six. And if I can have a volunteer to read Hebrews eleven twenty-six, Ethan, you want to read? All right. Yeah, very good. Thank you. So, when Moses gave up the treasures that the world offered, he was proclaiming that Christ was worth more. Just like the man who goes and and finds the pearl of great price, right, and and, and sells everything for it, right? Because um, giving uh, demonstrated that there was something more valuable than material assets, Right, and I think that's really, really—I mean—that's really helpful, right? So we can display how great God is through giving. Secondly, uh, we think about God's generosity to us in Christ, right? And that just brings the gospel uh, to the forefront. And uh, I turn to Second uh, Corinthians, chapter eight. So in in Second Corinthians. Chapters 8 and 9, Paul is talking about the collection, the, the, the gift for uh, the, the poor um, in Jerusalem, right? And, he, and he's going and collecting from Gentile churches. And so really, really helpful, just worth spending some time in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 when you want to think about giving. There's a lot of key principles Paul kind of brings out. We'll, we'll look at some of them this morning. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and look with me in verse 9 as he's using this as a part of the, the, the basis with giving. Uh, if I can have a volunteer to read uh, verse, yeah, Barani? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, that's like the gospel boiled down, right? Um, uh, in, in, in a sense, when you think of Christ giving himself for us so that we might partake with him in that eternal inheritance. So we think of, in this sense, Christ as the example, not only as the ones who have benefited, but then also as uh, with Christ as the example, with, with Christ willing to become poor so that we might benefit from his poverty. And then third, giving promotes godliness. Now, this is an interesting text. Uh, If you go to uh, Matthew chapter 6, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Because the way that this is worded, uh, it's 
at least to me, it, it's not what I would expect, right? Um, it, I, I think, if anything, right, to me it's reverse, uh, the way that I you know, normally think about things. So in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 19 through 21. If I can have a volunteer to read verses 19 through 21. Sabrina? Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now isn't that interesting? In verse 21, when Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't we normally think that where your heart is, right, then your actions kind of flow from that, right? And I, and I think that's, a bit, that's, that's biblical, right? Um, well, what our affections and desires have, and then we have resultant fruit, right? But Jesus almost has the cart before the horse here. And I think it's, it's important that we pick up on that. Um, that when we think about money, it's not sometimes a matter of, well, I need to get my heart there and then give Sometimes to get our heart there, we need to go and invest, right? And then when we're vested with something, then our heart becomes really attached, really engaged. And th- think about this. Um, uh, uh, Randy Alcorn, he provides this helpful example, right? And he talks about here you are, you have some money, and you invest in the company General Motors, right? And you buy, you buy shares of the company, right? Now you, now you have ownership in the company. Well, well what happens when you become vested with stock. Uh, you suddenly develop this interest in GM, right? And articles come out about GM and you're kind of interested, all right, well, hey, how's the company doing? Are we losing money? Are we gaining money? What, what's taking place with the company? How's it being run? There's, there's a certain interest that's developed because of what we've put in, right? And I think we can see a similar principle with giving. Uh, you know, sometimes, um, and, and don't get me wrong, the, the opposite is still true. Sometimes we need to pray, Lord, help develop my heart so that way, you know, work in me so that way um, uh, with, with what you lay on there and, and, and give accordingly, right? Or, or, or work accordingly. But sometimes I think what we need to do when we're like, you know, I really should develop a heart for missions or for the poor or for human trafficking, right? Or with the church. Well, what we need to do is go give. Right? We need, we need our money to go and let our heart follow with it, right, from, a, from an investment standpoint. And I think in that sense, following that order, that grows us in godliness, right, when we, when we move forward in, in, that, in that sense. But not only this, it's also helpful, I think, uh, when we look at um, when, when we give and provide and, uh, and, and we're generous it also produces thanksgiving in God's people, right, as a result. And God gets more glory, and, and when people give praise and thanks to God, that is them growing in godliness, right, with, with that kind of response. And, and we see this in uh, 2 Corinthians, so turn with me back into 2 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Like I said, we'll probably be keeping a finger there just because... There's a lot of really good material that Paul addresses in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, or, or, or chapters 8 and 9. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, in verses 11 and 12, 
Let's turn there. 2 Corinthians 9, 11, and 12. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service, right, this gift of, of, um, of, of financial material uh, help to the, to the poor in Jerusalem, is not only supporting the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Right? And so, for the recipients, right, there's a growth in grace and not just receiving, but then responding to the Lord appropriately. And so, lastly, when we think about why Christians should give, we think about giving and it uh, bringing a blessing. Now, that might feel a little awkward, maybe in some of your backgrounds uh, 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 or any experience with the uh, health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel, that might, you know, might have a little bit of an edge to it. And, and I think, you know, we always have to stay balanced, right? Not, not overreact to someone's... Um, uh, uh, when, when, when they kind of go off uh, with, with a wrong emphasis. And so even here, I think, I think it's appropriate. And turn with me uh, in Luke chapter 6, and let's look at verse 38. And let's just think of this. God's promise of blessing is a real reason for why we should give, especially, yeah, let's, let's turn there, in, in Luke chapter 6. And we'll read verse uh, 38. And if I can have a volunteer to read verse 38. Caden? All right. Good job. Thank you, Caden. Yeah, I think that is, we can see in there the promises from Jesus. Give and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And, and again, just keeping a finger in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, uh, just go back there real quick. All right, um, and actually, maybe I'll, just, I'll just read this. In 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Right? And that makes sense, right? It's a farming analogy, right? If if you put out more seed, you'll have a larger harvest, right? If you put less in, there will be less from a harvest standpoint. And Paul's picking up on that to encourage and to motivate us with with giving. So, giving in order to be uh, blessed, like when we think of what Jesus said in Luke 6.38, that's a good, biblical, godly thing. But yet, 
and this is again, we'll, we'll go back here just with the whole uh, health, wealth, and prosperity gospel with this overemphasis um, that, uh, uh, that, that God's blessing means material possess- possessions, um, uh, large wealth now. When God's blessing does not necessitate that that means you're rich in this world, right? God's blessing uh, can be his comfort and his peace, his strength, uh, but it does not necessitate this uh, uh, material possession uh, or, or overabundance in, in, um, in that standpoint. And uh, the issue there is they're bringing something that is still future for Christians into the present and saying that's the expectation for all Christians who believe and who give, right? Because the reality is we look forward to the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, right? That, that is beyond our wildest imagination from uh, what we have in Christ, right? Um, when we think of that physical sense in his presence and uh, everything associated with it. But um, yeah, and so uh, it's, it's not correct. It's not helpful. In fact, it's really hurtful when we think of material wealth as a measure of our holiness or a measure of our faith. Now, it is important, and I think this is, this is always good that we, we work through the Scripture, right? So in the Old Testament... God did tie material blessing to his people under the old covenant, right? So you can go back and look at promises and Deuteronomy and talk about this abundance of fruit and, and, um, and, and, and all these things, right? Material wealth and possession. But that, um, uh, but the Old Testament was a shadow of the greater reality we have in the new covenant in Christ. And so these things were all pointing to something greater, right? And, and like we said, they were pointing to the age to come, right? When we think of the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, where we benefit, and there's that physical aspect, right, of, um, of prosperity that we enjoy with the Lord as we rule and reign with him forever, as co-heirs with Christ. So, and just going back real quick, you know, we, we read in 2 Corinthians 9 7, uh, just one of the things that, that um, Paul talks about is just how God loves a cheerful giver, not one of reluctance, but one um, that, that takes joy in it. And it might be good just to kind of springboard there and ask, uh, how, has, how have you seen the Lord use giving in your life to be a joy? To be something that instead of it being like begrudging or hurtful, it's something that is exciting or, um, uh, or, or where you find uh, or joy um, uh, mixed in giving or, or seeing how the Lord uses it. Maybe we'll just kind of open up the floor and just allow, um, you know, any ways that you've seen the Lord use that or, or have been encouraged with giving and, and, and seeing, you know, what, what happens there. I think so much of the giving 
it's hard to share. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Fair point. Fair point. Yeah. Yeah. Without it feeling. Like... Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to share this one time. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably a fair question. I'm gonna X this. Yeah. <laughs> no. Nothing against your question. No. 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 Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. That might be something you share in private, um, not, uh, yeah, for the, for the world to hear. No, nope, I think that's good. So let's just go to our next point Sorry. then. <laughs> no, no, it's a fair point. It's good. Uh, so any, any questions or comments before we kind of hop into uh, our next section on what should Christians give? Any, any questions or comments? Yeah, Miriam. Yeah, no, excellent point. No, it's really good. Yeah, thank you. All right, section three, what should Christians give? So we looked at why Christians should give, and we're going to cover what should Christians give. Right, we're, we're, we're going to answer the what. And there's a sense in which uh, to, to use the term giving now very loosely, right? We give everything, right? And so that's not like a vow for poverty, but it's this aspect of, and again, we're using the word giving very, very loosely. It's this aspect of submission to the lordship of Christ. That, that it's a commitment of all of me to all of the Lord, right? And in that sense, we give everything, right? And, and, and and, and we're, we're familiar with this, right? We think of texts like Romans 12, 1. Um, in fact, just, just turn there real quick. Just turn to, to Romans chapter 12. Um, this, uh, this, for me, becomes uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2 is like a, uh, a verse. Anytime you bring up the Christian life, it's like, you know, I just go to, you know, Romans chapter 12. Uh, but what he says in Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, right? So we have this aspect of, of all of us, right, for the Lord um, in worship, in service to him. Um, and, and even uh, you think of 1 Corinthians 10, 31, right? Whatever you do, do all, right? What does all mean? All, right? Do all. All things, everything, to the glory of God, to put God on display. And as you can see in your handout, money is just one piece of a large puzzle for how we can use every gift, every opportunity, every relationship, every dollar to proclaim the glory of God with every minute He gives us on this earth. Right? And, 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 that's, and that's really, in one sense, uh, a part of our responsibility, a part of our stewardship, is we ask God, give us wisdom so we can assess every opportunity we have in life. And so uh, that, that every bit of that opportunity can be spent and put you on display as glorious, right? So, so with that, now, now let's really, if we will, kind of hone in on when we think of giving, right? When we think of 
materially giving, right, or fin- financially giving. Uh, well, I think that's where we're going to spend the most of our time, you know, as we kind of lead in uh, through, through what we have left. So, so under the section, tithes and offering. Um, uh, and, you know, now, now we're going to think about, you know, uh, how much do we give? Uh, where should we give? And how do we, how do we tie some of these things together? How does the scripture weave, weave these things together? So we'll start with the, with the Old Testament on, on giving. And, you know, prominent concept in the Old Testament before the law. And, and or when we say the law, right, we think of the you know, Mosaic Covenant. Uh, you know, prior to the Mosaic Covenant, under the Mosaic Covenant, we see this concept of the tithe. And uh, it seems, looking at some of these texts, that there were three different tithes collected in Israel. In, uh, in Leviticus 27, verses 30 to 33, it tells us that, a, that um, the, the Israelites were to tithe, and, and, and a tithe means a tenth. Um, uh, uh, we were, uh, that the Israelites were to tithe um, of all the produce and flocks and it was to be set aside for the Lord. And uh, this tithe was given to the Levites, enabling them to serve in the tabernacle full-time since they didn't receive an inheritance of land. Um, uh, and and, and uh, uh, they in turn were to, uh, were to tithe to support the priests. And we see this in Numbers 18, uh, verses 8 through 32. And in fact... Uh, there it is. So you think uh, you got Old Testament, right? So then we have this concept of tithe. And so the first one we said was Leviticus uh, 27, 30 to 33. And then they, uh, they are to give a tithe to the priests. And we see this in Numbers, what did I say? Numbers 8, I think. Uh, sorry, 18 verses 8 to 32. And that's a longer section. So then, and, and I think we see this as the, the, the first tithe. Uh, secondly, in Deuteronomy, uh, we see that a tithe or a tenth was to be given of one's produce and flocks, and it was to be eaten at the central sanctuary. Uh, and in fact, uh, turn with me in your Bibles. Uh, let's go back to the Old Testament. This is going to be in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 12. And uh, we'll look at uh, verses 17 and 18. And if I can have a volunteer read uh, Deuteronomy 12 verses 17 and 18. Tim? So we see there is 
there is supposed to be this, this other tithe, and it's meant for a festal gathering of God's people in a central location of his choosing, right, at the time of uh, writing in Deuteronomy, that all of God's people were to take a tenth of what they have, and it was to be a massive celebration, right, uh, uh, a festal gathering. So, so we see, um, so that was Deuteronomy 12, what was that, 22 to 23? Or 17 and 18. Sorry, I got another one. And then another text is Deuteronomy 14, and that's 22 to 23, where where a similar you know similar language is used. And uh, and and now I just pause with me for a second. Isn't that interesting that God wants His people to gather, to save up, gather, and then have this massive celebration together, right? And so. You know, sometimes we can think of, um, or, or this I think can be a helpful demonstration that creation is still good, and that things in creation can still be used in a good way and enjoyed and celebrated, right? And we see this here with with God's people coming together and getting to rejoice and celebrate together. And then so. Next, uh, turn with me, uh, so, you know, maybe a page over to Deuteronomy 14. And in Deuteronomy 14, we see the concept of the tithe, but it's related to, um, uh, it's related to the poor. And so every third year, you were to tithe, you know, your, you know, material prosperity, and you were to give that, um, uh, and it was to go up to the storehouse for those who are in need. So turn with me in Deuteronomy 14, and let's look at verses 28 and 29. And if I can have another volunteer to read. Well. And at the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled that the Lord your God Perfect. So, so this tithe was in particular in in the Mosaic economy to help provide for the poor, and so we'll just put uh, put that one here. Okay, that was Deuteronomy fourteen twenty eight to twenty nine. Now we also see that in addition in addition to the to the the tithe. Uh, Israel also had uh, other things that kind of fall into these offerings and tithes category, right? When we think of Old Testament giving, you had uh, you had the temple tax in Exodus 30. Um, uh, when we see even Jesus, uh, right? When the um, when the religious Jews tried to catch him related to the temple tax, you know, do your people, do your disciples pay the temple tax? Uh, there were voluntary offerings in Deuteronomy 12:6. Uh, we have the gleaning of the fields. Um, uh, that were to be left. You were not to glean entirely of your fields, but you were to leave some for the poor, so that way they could glean as they as they um, as they walked and had provision, you know, daily provision, if you will. And uh, and then even in the monarchy, right, there were taxes levied, and and uh, you know we see that in Second Kings twenty three uh, verse twenty five, right. Once there was the uh, the, uh, the the established monarchy, so. 
Um, so I think, you know, we start putting some of these things together. There's, there's, there's many facets to Old Testament giving. And, uh, but I think with that said, I think 10% can be a helpful, you know, number or start when we think about the Old Testament. And, and part of that can be uh, we look at uh, Abraham and uh, Jacob. Uh, both of them uh, gave a tenth, right? Uh, like Abraham gave a tenth to Melchizedek in Genesis 14.20. And Jacob promised 10% to God in Genesis 28, 22, right? And this was hundreds of years before the law, or the Mosaic Covenant, was given. But I, but, I, but I want us now to turn to New Testament given. And, and, I, and I will say, I think it's interesting that um, uh, we, we do not find um, uh, clearly communicated the, uh, the tithe uh, on New Testament Christian given. Uh, but what we do see, I think, are, are several emphases uh, related to giving uh, that I think we as Christians must incorporate. So again, the 10% can be a helpful paradigm, but I think when we get to the New Testament, uh, we're going to see some of these principles where, where that's more elastic, right? And, uh, and so, so we'll see that. Um, in, uh, so turn with me... Um, yeah, and, and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16. So if you go back to the New Testament, let's go to the end of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 16, and let's look at verse 2. And we're going to spend some more time on this verse, so we'll, we'll look at this pretty quickly. On the first day, so 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And this concept of as he may prosper, I think is really important. And we're going to see that in a couple of texts, where we are to give in alignment to what we have been given, right? So, uh, so... Turn with me. Let's, let's, let's go to the book of 2 Corinthians. So we're in 1 Corinthians, go, you know, one book over. 2 Corinthians, going back you know, to that major section on, on giving. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 1 through 3. If I can get a volunteer to read uh, 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 3. Perfect. Thank you. And look with me in verse 3. And again, you're going to see some similarity to 1 Corinthians 16, where, he, where Paul says, For they gave according to their means. Right? And I think that's an important, an important point, that, uh, that giving should accord with the financial, uh, material wealth that God has given to us. It, it, um, it's interesting when we look at uh, examples of how this, this phrase is used in antiquity. Like one example includes uh, when you look at 
marriage contracts. And so you have a, uh, a husband and a wife, and in the contract, it will stipulate that the husband must provide according to his means, right? And so what that means is there's a certain expectation of, of living associated with what he makes. Or to think of it this another way, right? Uh, uh, several of us are numbers peoples, right? And I think to help illustrate this point, the point is not so much that uh, as you make more money, you should give more dollars, right? I, and I think, I think that's, that's true, but I think it goes one step beyond that. I think it is saying that as you grow in your financial capability, your financial capital, right? It's not simply increasing dollars. It should be an increase in percentage. So for example, if you start to develop and go into a lifestyle that has a lot more comfort than say someone who's on the poverty line, right? Now again, some of this is arbitrary, right? What defines poverty and some of this, without really getting into a lot of the nitty gritty there, just to illustrate the point, someone who is of significant uh, material possessions, right? a greater percentage should be placed on them than, say, someone who's hovering around the poverty line, right? And I think, I think that's an important point. It's not just simply dollars. I think we should consider percentage, right? Or as, or as Paul says, that we, that um, uh, uh, they, they, uh, to give uh, according to our means, Yeah, and so, you know, and, and, um, and we see, uh, uh, yeah, so to summarize, um, uh, you know, to, to ask the question, are you in sin if you don't give 10% of your income uh, to the church? And I think the answer is uh, not necessarily. Uh, and again, for some of you, given how God has constructed your life, you may be in sin if you don't give 20 or 30 or, or, or larger percentages, right? And then for others, God is pleased with 5%, right? In accordance with, um, uh, with the means, right? Giving according to our means from 2 Corinthians 8, 3. Um, so I think there's two other important principles when we think about the, uh, the, the, the what of, of giving, and we're going to look at this. And, and really, I don't think they're like separate categories from, from what we talked about, but may, maybe more aspects when we think about giving. So one relates to sacrificial giving, and then two is, is generous giving. You'll see that on, on your handout. We're all familiar with, uh, with the text um, in Matthew 16 and, and, and other texts where Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so we see this concept of sacrifice associated with the Christian life, right? And so we should assume, you know, as, as stewardship and giving falls under the Christian life, that, that this too, that there would be this sense of sacrifice. And, and I think, you know, we're still in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you look in verse verses 2 and 3 again, and this is, we have to go back and think, why is Paul writing what he's writing in 2 Corinthians 8? What is he trying to do? 
right? He's trying to motivate the church in Corinth to really come along with him to fulfill the gift that they um, that they committed to, right? But he, but he's also tying in these reasons. He's not just saying, "I'm collecting. I'm here," right? He's 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 trying to motivate. He's strengthening them, and so. Look at what he does in 2 Corinthians uh, 8 and verses 2 and 3. He's using the example of other believers and churches with their sacrificial giving to encourage and help propel us uh, to follow in similar footsteps. Right? And we'll talk about that because that can be used to an imbalance. right? But, but look, let's look at this, right? where he says, For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. And I think that's important, right? So then, Paul, Paul is seeming to say that they not only uh, went uh, and gave and sacrificed for the poor in Jerusalem, but they did this in a way that was above and beyond what they should have been able to do, right? Or as he says in verse 2, right, out of their poverty. And I think that's important, right? So it gets, it gets to this idea of, of sacrifice. Now, I think it's, um, I think it's important that you know, we, don't, we don't go um, and fall off of, uh, of, of, of either side of, uh, of the trail, right? You know, there's always two ditches. And so... Um, yes, I think uh, when we look at the New Testament, there is a call for us to be sacrificial, right? And, and even, uh, even with our money and being sacrificial in how we give. But I also think we need to be careful that we don't assume that unless your budget is, is insanely tight, that, that you have not met the, the sacrificial category, Right? That I think we, um, or, or, or you know, you, know, you think of even in a more extreme example, you know, a vow of poverty, right? Uh, those are not of necessity placed on every believer, right? That that your that your budget should be as minimalist as possible. Um, now, again, some some will go and live this way, and and I think that's really encouraging, right? And um, uh, but it's not it's not. Um, uh, it is important that um, uh, that sacrificial giving um, that sacrificial giving is not equal to um, uh, uh, to ways in which that might harm uh, aspects of, let's say, your um, uh, relationships within your family. You think of the marriage relationship or with your children, right? So where you're like, no, we are going to get this budget insanely tight. You're not eating out. This is how it's going to be, right? And I think we need to be careful, right? We don't, we don't push too hard that we, that we dwell with one another um, um, in, in peace. And I also think, too, like you think of this example in 2 Corinthians 8 with this example of sacrifice, which I think is it's really important for us. In the, in the example of 2 Corinthians 8, this was an example of a, of a special gift given, um, a, special gift, a special gift given. This was not a permanent state of sacrifice, right? This was a temporary state given for this gift to those in Jerusalem. 
So now let, let us turn to this the second idea of generous giving. And um, all right. I think this, this quote is, is helpful. So, so listen, uh, li- listen to this quote from, from this author. How do modern Christians and churches avoid the seductive power of material possession? How can wealth remain a good for their enjoyment rather than leading them further away from God and the priorities of his kingdom? The recurring answer of both testaments is through generous giving to others. And let, let me just backtrack for a second. So when I was talking about a budget, I don't want you guys, I, I don't want to give the impression that I'm saying you don't want to challenge yourself in the way in which you live, right? Uh, please don't take it that way. What I'm trying to avoid is the extreme of, of you know, I'm trying to avoid an extreme, if, if you will. So just, just uh, want to maybe balance what I, what, I, what I previously said. So, so generosity, right? I mean, we think about what we just read in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, right? Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Uh, Christians are called to be generous. And uh, this is especially laid at our feet as we live in America, right? Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter, chapter 6, right? The reality is we Americans, in comparison to the rest of the world, are wealthy. We are rich, right? When you, when you, when you look at the rest of the world, right, uh, I'd say uh, Americans uh, largely are rich when we compare ourselves to the poor of the world. So 1 Timothy chapter 6. And let's look at verses uh, 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So notice this. In, in 1 Timothy 6, it is not a call to sell off all of your wealth and, and, um, uh, and to, to dispense with it, right? But look at what the call is. For those who are wealthy in this age, for those who have earthly riches, what's the call? Don't be haughty. Don't be proud. Don't put your confidence in your money, right? Don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, right? And, and, and even Paul bringing up that, that point about, uh, you know, God richly providing all of these things for us to enjoy. So there's an element in which we should delight and give thanks to God for the wealth that he provides and for it to be enjoyed. But notice this in verses 18 and 19. But that, but that wealth is not simply to be enjoyed, but that wealth is to be shared, right? When we think about that. And we look at that in verses 18 and 19. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves when they think of the future. Yes, Sabrina. Uh, I have an example now. So. Yeah. <laughs> Seven vehicles from jet skis to this and that. 
his pastor said to him one time, you know, you really are into stuff. And he didn't think anything of it. And then, you know, and then because he was, you know, he had retired as a contractor, he, he, he started working with Wycliffe to like, you know, build homes for translators. And it was through the experience of going overseas and I think just, you know, seeing everything and seeing how the gospel played out that he was changed. And then he came back and told his wife and she got changed. And they got genuinely saved through it. Wow. But they spent the rest, you know, they, they sold their house, they got rid of all their, you know, they, I mean, they didn't get rid of all their possessions. Or yes. They still have, you know. Right. But then they moved down to Florida, lived in a trailer for a long time. Now they live in a house in Illinois. So right. Um, but they decided to use their wealth to, like, you know, put men through seminary. Yes. And just really invest in the, in, in stuff that would continue producing fruits. Yes. So, it, and, and so building on the heels of that, I think that's really important because, again, go, going back to that giving according to our means, right, and, and, and taking deep interest with what our money can go do, right? And, uh, and, and I mean that from the standpoint of when we go and give and invest, we look at what the results can be, right, and how God can use that uh, for, uh, for the advancement of his kingdom. And building on that, right, you see this idea, right? Be ready for good works, ready to share. How do we use this in a way that, um, that, that can bless? Uh, in fact, there's been, um, oh, man, it's going to bother me. I don't remember the website right now. It's either, I think it's generousgiving or um, like generousgiving.com or something of that. But it's, it's stories of people basically on their journey of giving large amounts of wealth but, but not just like giving it away, but using it as an investment, right? Investing in people and groups and then seeing what, you know, what, what impact that has, um, right? And even looking at, you know, examples of that in, in church history uh, or even, you know, we could even see that in the New Testament itself. So, right, and we, and we see the same idea about good works, uh, you know, in, in texts like Titus, uh, be ready for good works, devote ourselves to good works. Um, uh, and, uh, and and things there. All right. For time's sake. Uh, all right. Let, let's turn to section four, and we're going to have to hit this um, pretty quickly. So you know, hop on your jet ski, if you will. Uh, so there might be more writing uh, in, in in this part. So I want to hit this under under two sections, and and this obligations, opportunities, distinction might be helpful, maybe it's more like two aspects of a similar coin, right, all, all kind of under this idea of, of giving. So obligations, you know, you can think of two categories, right? Uh, one is providing for yourself and for your family, and then uh, even even like in 1 Timothy 5.8, right, even um, people in your family in the larger thought, right, not just like, you know, my kids, right, but maybe like your mom or, right, you know, this this, this expanding circle, right? When he, this is when Paul's talking about widows. So it's important. You, you must provide for your family, right? You have, you have that obligation. And then I think, secondly, right, we, we look at a text like uh, Galatians 6.6, 6, um, where Paul says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches, right? And this has this idea of materially providing for those who teach. And we see... Uh, Paul say similar in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 when he talks about the apostles and providing for those. Um, we see the same idea in 1 Timothy 5, uh, verse 17, when Paul says, Let the elders who rule well 
be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. What it's saying is the church has an obligation, a duty to make sure as they are able to provide for those who uh, uh, who labor, especially in preaching and teaching. And that idea of double honor has this idea of, of, um, of, of uh, remuneration, right? Giving of, of finances. So now this, the, second, the second category in regards to opportunities, and I'm keeping my eye on the clock. I, I want to write down, so if you will, just write down um, Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Paul brings out here that Christians, when we think of giving, should, should give, right? And, and, that, and that can be indiscriminately in, in the sense of believers and unbelievers, right? So there's this broad category, but then Paul uses this word, especially the household of faith, right? So our priority when we give, right? We think of our obligations. We then think of, additionally, we think of especially the household of faith. We, we think of the poor in the church. Right now, now, Christians can, and I would say, should give right, to help the poor in general. But we have an, a special obligation right, to those of the household of faith. Now, um, all right, I know, yeah, in two minutes we can do this. So um, two weeks ago, we talked about stewardship ties in with mission, right? And so uh, we, we talked about... Um, here, we'll just do a big circle, right? You have Genesis 9, right? And that was um, uh, that all people, um, we, we have these uh, common shared institutions between believers and unbelievers. And, and we have this cultural mandate that all things are to be worked out and used for the glory of God, right? And we see this communicated in, 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 you know, in Genesis 9. And, and all people kind of fall under this category. And then... We said, but then uh, as believers, we have an, uh, um, a, a more focused mission, right? And that's with the church. And so um, uh, when we think of uh, evangelism, we think of making disciples, church planning, th things of this nature. And what I, would, what I would say as it relates to giving is Christians give in both circles, Right. So if, if you want to think of it, think of the church as, you know, especially right. We are to give priority to the church and the church's mission, but not to the exclusion of Genesis nine. Right now, that could be Christian organizations that maybe help with human trafficking. Right. Is it the church's mission to go and stop human trafficking? The church as an institution? No. Right now, are individual Christians should they go and help with human trafficking? Yes, right. Then there, there's a difference between the church as an institution and the church as an organism, as a living body made up of individual members. Right, and so we think of, of giving, and there's a lot more that could be said. But when you think of the two circles, right, you think of Genesis nine. Giving can go into all those categories, the poor, poverty alleviation, education, you know, you even think of, um, uh, uh, yeah, just, just a host of things, right, that exist, that are shared between believers and unbelievers in this Genesis 9 world, but then in a special focus on the church. So now I am over, and I do apologize for that. 
Um, so, um, so with that, we're going to have to um, uh, take it and bring it to a close. So let, let's go to the Lord and, uh, and thank him for this time. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this opportunity to think through about giving. And uh, we just pray that you would uh, help us to grow as we think of um, wanting to display how glorious you are and to use the things that you give us to put you on display. Um, and and uh, we do ask and, and pray, Father, please give us, give us grace through the Holy Spirit to live spirit-empowered lives, uh, even in generosity and in, in um, uh, frugality so that your kingdom, um, uh, uh, for, for the work of your kingdom. And we pray this in, uh, in Jesus' name. Amen.